In chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord gives what is most frequently referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But I think that's misnamed. It's not the Lord's Prayer. It's the Christian's Prayer, the Disciple's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is the great prayer in the 17th chapter of John. But nevertheless, there's never been a prayer like the Lord's Prayer. It takes in everything. It deals with every phase of a Christian's life and takes him to the throne of grace to call upon the Lord for his needs at God's throne. It's a wonderful thing. I can hardly wait to get to the disciples' prayer in this next chapter. Also in this coming chapter coming up, there's the teaching of Jesus on the matter of a Christian and riches. I was thinking not many of us will have to worry about riches, but every one of us will have to deal with material things. And in this chapter coming up is the teaching of Jesus on a Christian, a believer, and his relationship to material things. Then in chapter 6 also is a wonderful subject. It is called God's cure for a man's anxiety. God's cure for our care. And it comes up in chapter 6. And I'm just looking forward with some real anticipation to chapter 6 in this wonderful part of the Word of God. I think if the Lord tarries and we're able to go through these three wonderful chapters, these 111 verses, we'll find there's not one phase of our life that the Lord hasn't touched on in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he plays on the whole keyboard of Christian living in these three chapters. And I'm looking forward, if the Lord tarries his coming, to the uh, studies that are yet to come. And already I'm thinking about some other things I want to do, and maybe we'll do them on some night other than Wednesday night. I've been thinking and praying and meditating a good bit recently on the, what I call the parabolic teaching of Jesus, or the parables Jesus told. They're so wonderful, the parables Jesus told. And I'm thinking that maybe in one of our services of the week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, or sometime, we will start teaching, preaching on the great parables that Jesus told. They are so wonderful and so full of meaning and truth. And so I want you to pray that the Lord will bless the ministry of the Word of God to our hearts. Now in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, we'll begin reading tonight with verse 33. Verse 33, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. I'd like for you to notice something. I've mentioned it before, but it's an outline to the chapter. And it's not mine. It's the Lord's. It's right in, in the chapter. Starting with verse 21, Jesus said several times, You have heard that it was said by them of old time. I think five times there are five divisions in this chapter from verse 21 to the end of the chapter. And it always begins with that expression. You've heard that it was said by them of old time. Now we're going to deal tonight uh, in a few minutes with three of these expressions from the lips of Jesus. 
You have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. I'm going to read it in a minute, and you'll find it three times in the Scripture that we shall read tonight. Now, I'm pointing that out because it's very necessary if we're to understand what the Lord is saying here. The Lord is not changing the Mosaic teaching, the Old Testament law. In fact, He says in this chapter that um, uh, heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or tittle of this law shall ever pass away. He's not changing it. He's not even improving on it. He is saying, you've heard it said by them of old time, but I say unto you, He's dealing with the perversion of the Old Testament Scriptures by the Pharisees and scribes of His day. Unless you keep that in mind, there's no way that we can understand what the Lord is talking about. He's not extending the Mosaic Law. He's not improving on it. He's certainly not doing away with it. He's explaining it as God meant it to be in the Old Testament. And the Lord wrote it Himself. And He certainly could explain it. And He is setting straight what Pharisees and scribes had erroneously taught the people. Now, you know, that's, we have to do that all the time. There's so much false teaching, we have to go to the Bible. Like Isaiah said, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And Jesus is saying here, you've heard it said by them of old time. He's not saying you have read what was written of old time, but you've heard people take the Old Testament Scriptures and they've perverted them and they've added to them and they've changed them. I'm teaching you, Jesus said, exactly what they mean. And my, how wonderful that is, that the Lord would make it clear to us. Let's look now at verse 33, and we shall read to the end of the chapter. Again, you see, he said it several times. Again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is His footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil or of the evil one. Notice again now, he says, You have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. And this is greatly misunderstood. Jesus resisted evil in a way. But he's saying here that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee 
to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Here's the third time in the scripture we're reading tonight. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. But ye therefore, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now I would like to say to you tonight before we deal for a few minutes with these teachings of Jesus that there's nothing superfluous in the Bible. For instance, the Lord here deals with the matter of swearing, the matter of revenge, and the matter of love to your neighbor. Some might think now the teaching of Jesus on the matter of our oaths that are made unto God and the matter of swearing is superfluous teaching and that that is not needed. Such is not the case. There's nothing superfluous in the Bible and there's nothing superfluous in the teaching of Jesus. Mind you tonight that whatever Jesus taught when he's on this earth nearly 2,000 years ago is needed in your life and mine in 1985. There is nothing superfluous in the teaching of Jesus. In the little book of Hosea, back in the Old Testament, the Lord says in His Word, My people perish for the lack of knowledge. And I think that's true sometimes that we preachers and teachers of the Bible do not just take the Bible as it is. And as someone, someone has said, teach it as it is to men as they are. That's what needs to be done. There's nothing superfluous in the Bible. And if Jesus deals with something, it's because that teaching is needed in the life of the child of God. Here in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has reached back uh, more than once into the Ten Commandments. He dealt with the commandment, Thou shalt not kill. He dealt with the commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And in tonight he is dealing with the third commandment in the beginning of this part of his discourse. That third commandment as found in the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7 is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who that taketh his name in vain. This is the beginning of the teaching we have before us tonight. The third of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now that Jesus amplifies and, and teaches exactly what it means. 
um, the Jews, the Pharisees, scribes in Jews in Jesus' day, did what they they thought was a good kind of swearing. For instance, they said, "Just as sure as God lives, so and so," and they thought they could do that about anything. Jesus here goes back to the third commandment and says, "Thou shalt not take the name." of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And he teaches us exactly what that means. It means for one thing that a Christian is never to forswear himself. That is a word that uh, you and I don't use in our vocabulary. It is an old English word. Jesus said... Uh, we are not to forswear ourselves. That is, if we've made a promise, or as it is in the Old Testament, a covenant or an oath to God, we're never to break it. We're not to break the oath or covenant we've made with the Lord. And what Jesus is saying is that he absolutely forbids a person to break an oath or a vow that he's made unto God. Many a Christian has made an oath or vow unto the Lord. I have. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible does not remove that. I think, for instance, of Jacob. He's just one of multitudes of people in the Old Testament that made a covenant or an oath with the Lord. Jacob, in the 29th chapter of the book of Genesis, made a covenant with the Lord. He made a vow to God. He said to the Lord, If thou wilt be with me in this journey, and he's, he's about to go off on a journey that will take him 20 years to complete, but he didn't know it'd be that long. 20 years later, he completes that journey, but in the 28th of Genesis, he said, If thou wilt be with me in this journey, give me bread to eat and raiment to wear, a tenth of all I possess, will be given unto thee. Now the Lord blessed Jacob, and Jacob became a wealthy man. When he came back in 20 years, he came back with literally hordes of cattle of all kind and a great family. And he's the father of the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. God blessed him. But as far as we know, Jacob never broke that promise to God. What Jesus is saying here, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Don't enter into a vow or covenant with God and bring God's name into it and then break that vow that you've made unto the Lord. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us, if you've made a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. How many times have I seen Christians forswear themselves. That is, go back on the oath or covenant they made with the Lord. Had a man come and stand right there years ago and say to me, Preacher, I made a promise to the Lord and an oath with the Lord, and I've broken it. And he handed me a check uh, for this church of several hundreds of dollars and said, I set out to build my wife and family and myself a home. And I said, I'll stop tithing till I get my home built 
and then I'll start again. And he said, God has taught me I've sinned against the Lord. And he said, I'm here to make it up because I broke my covenant with God. And the Lord is saying here, don't take God's name in vain in that way. It means something else, I'm sure. It forbids profanity, cursing or swearing. You know, one of the 12 disciples was guilty of this. One of the 12, Peter, uh, Jesus said to him before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And they said to him three times, do you belong to Jesus? And the third time, the Bible says in Matthew 26 and verse 74, the third time he began to curse and swear and say, I never knew him. And he swore and he cursed and he took God's name in vain. And the Lord is saying, a Christian, a believer, who wants to live a godly life, should never take the name of God in vain in that way. Peter had to repent of it, and the Lord forgave him. But I'm sure that when it comes to the teaching of not taking the Lord's name in vain, it, it forbids perjury, going back on your word, and it forbids profanity. And my, how people misuse the name of God today. I've been in places where the air would be blue uh, with people taking God's name in vain. And it's like sticking a dagger in the heart of a Christian who really loves the Lord to hear people speak that way. Now then, the second time Jesus used the expression you've heard that hath been said of them of old time, he deals with the matter of revenge or retaliation. Now, he said, you've heard that it has been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and so forth. But I say unto you. Now, the Old Testament did teach that. Now, hear me tonight. The Old Testament teaches physical punishment that fits the crime that was committed. If one wrongfully destroys the eye of another, his eye was to be destroyed. If he wrongfully destroyed the hand of another, God said, eye for an eye. If, it, if a tooth is knocked out, one of his to be knocked out. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And God also said, he that smiteth the man so that he die shall surely be put to death. Now the Old Testament taught that. But I want you to notice something tonight. When this teaching was given in the Old Testament, it was giving to the, given to the judges of Israel and to those who were uh, considered the government of the commonwealth of Israel, not to the individual. No individual has the right to take the eye of another in retaliation. No individual has the right to retaliate with physical punishment, God gave this teaching to the judges. So Jesus said, you've heard by them of old time, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. And the Pharisees and scribes were practicing it. And Jesus knew that it was wrong. And he's saying, but ye resist not evil. Now wait just a minute. Let's see what did the Lord mean by resist not evil. 
He is talking about evil that is against us personally. He said, resist it not. But now Jesus says here, uh, whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. I've had folks ask me, do you think that is literal? And I may surprise you tonight by what I'm going to say, but I don't think this is literal teaching. Many things Jesus said were not literal, but they were figurative teaching. He said the seed is the Word of God. He said the field is the world. That field was not really the world. It was figurative, illustrative, symbolical, a picture. And that's the same here. Now you say, preacher, how do you know that? I know that because there's an instance in the Bible where Jesus was smitten on the cheek. And he didn't turn the other and say, now hit this one too. That would be soliciting someone to do more evil. He's saying if you're personally injured, then don't resist it. But be willing, if need be, to be injured the second time. When Jesus was smitten on the cheek, he's, he spoke against it, as it's recorded in the Bible. And he renounced those who smote him. So it, is not, it doesn't mean if somebody comes up and hits you on one cheek, you turn the good one and say, now, give it to me again. Jesus is not saying that. He's saying, be willing to take personal injury. That's what he's teaching. And there are three ways Jesus taught it. He said, first of all, he dealt with personal injury, smiting. And in the 18th chapter of John, verse 23, you'll read what I just talked about, where he did not turn the other cheek. It is not a literal thing that a Christian has to do or supposed to do. He also talked about another kind of injury, and that is to our possessions. He said, if a person comes and wants your coat, give him your cloak also. That is, if they take wrongfully your inner garment, be willing, without going to law, that they even take your outer garment. And this is an injury against our possessions. He dealt with the third way people are injured, and that is in our position. Injury against our person, our possessions, and our position. He said if someone comes along and wants you to go from here one mile, be willing to go with them too. And probably what Jesus had in mind was the fact that Rome ruled the world, and Roman soldiers would come with a burden and say to some poor Jew, you take this burden and carry it a mile further down the road here for me. Jesus said, be willing without having a fight and without trouble and without ruining your testimony to carry it two miles if you have to. That's what Jesus is teaching here. He is teaching that we are to resist not evil against ourselves by retaliating. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that if you would take and, and take this verse and let it become a part of your life, I'll tell you tonight by personal experience that it will help you uh, in a great and wonderful way. 
You know, the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, Paul deals with what to do when people are treating you wrongly. He says, for one thing, recompense to no man evil for evil. He said, if it be possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. He says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Now hear me tonight. Most everyone in this room has already come to a place in your life when you needed to use this. I help. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, here it is, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine, God said. Don't you take it. Let God take it. That's what Jesus is teaching here. He said, resist not evil. But now Jesus resisted evil in a way when he went into the temple in the second chapter of the book of John and they were uh, buying and selling in the temple. He turned those tables upside down, made a little whip, and beat them over the back and drove them out of the house of God and said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. He resisted evil in that way. But here he's talking about personal evil against you personally. Of course a Christian is to stand against evil, but personal injury, let God handle it. And I've had, I've had a wonderful experience with this scripture that I'm talking to you about tonight. And there's nobody here tonight that's involved, so don't burn your little battery out trying to figure who I'm, about whom I'm speaking. Many, quite a few years ago, nearly 20 years ago, there were some people who set out to wreck my life and my ministry and my home and my family. And about that time, God laid on my heart to preach a series of sermons on the subject of prayer. And I said to myself, I think I'll start where the Bible starts in the New Testament. And I took a concordance where it says prayer, praying, prayers, and every time it's used in the New Testament. And I said, I'll start where the New Testament starts. And I found out the New Testament started with verse 44, which says, Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And I just closed my Bible, and I had to think for a minute whether I wanted to preach on prayer or not. Because it said, Pray for them who despitefully use you. And finally, with a broken heart and tears, I got on my, knee, on my knees, and I prayed for everyone that nearly 20 years ago tried to wreck my life and ministry and my family, and I prayed for them by name. And from that day to this, I've never had a problem about personal injury. Let God take care of it. And let me tell you, friend, I just, I just feel good for the Christian that'll let the Lord take care of it and sorry for the people that the Lord deals with. You see, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Don't touch it. It's not yours. It belongs to God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Let God do what He wants to do. Let God have what belongs to Him. Vengeance never belongs to a Christian. And you know, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, he certainly knew human nature. He said, as much as, as, much as lieth in you, 
live peaceably with all men. I think even Paul and Jesus knew there's some folks that you can't live peacefully with, but let God handle it. Amen? Amen, Brother Tom. That's great. Oh, yes, this gets right down to old-time religion. It gets right down to where you're living, whether or not you're Christian enough to let the Lord take care of personal injury. Now, there's a third thing, and we hasten to close, and then he deals with it, and it starts in uh, verse 43. He said, You've heard by old time, uh, in old time it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. It never was said in, in old time or the Old Testament, I love your neighbor and hate your enemy. God said, Abhor not the, Egypt, the Egyptians. God said, Abhor not the Edomites. They were heathens, enemies of the people of God. Never in the Bible does it say hate your enemy, but the Pharisees and scribes had come to teach it that way. Jesus said, Thou shalt rather love your enemy and pray for them. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord, Leviticus 19 and 18. He says, Love your neighbor, but love your enemy and pray for him also. Now this is shown in three ways. This love is shown, first of all, by an absence of hate. Now let me tell you something tonight. You might better have a cancer in your lungs than to have hate in your heart. Because maybe the cancer in your lungs could be removed, but the hate in your heart will destroy you. And if you can think of one person in this world tonight you hate, you better flee to your knees and ask God to remove it. This love to your enemy is shown, first of all, by the conspicuous absence of hate in your heart. It is shown, secondly, by prayer. Pray for them. You say, oh, preacher, I just can't pray for so-and-so. Try it. Do you good. And that's what Jesus said. Pray for them. Then it's shown the third way by maturity. He said, be you therefore perfect or mature, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You say, well, preacher, how can anybody in the world live that, that kind of a life? I'll tell you how. Because the Bible tells us how, and Paul mentions it in Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ is the first thing he says. Now, dead men feel nothing. You see, if we had a dead person here tonight, and you come up, came up and stuck a pin in them, would it hurt? No, not at all. And if you're crucified, you won't get hurt so easily. And you won't feel all these things. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh. That's this rotten, corrupt body. The life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faithfulness, the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We are to let Christ live out his life in us. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ to live in me. That's the only way it can be done. The only way you can not hate an enemy and pray for an enemy and be a mature Christian is to let the Lord live his perfect life through your life and mine. Shall we pray?
Our Father, we thank you tonight for the sweet, wonderful teaching of our Lord Jesus. Truly touches our lives because we're in an unfriendly world and we're in an enfeebled body, all of us with the old nature and the carnal body in which our spirit and soul will live until you come to take us to yourself. And we need this, and we thank you for it. And Lord, I love you tonight for speaking so plainly to me and to these dear people about the real issues of life. Bless them to the hearts of these precious people tonight. May thy will, not ours, may thy will, not mine, be done in my life and the lives of these dear people here tonight. For Jesus' sake, amen.